Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the School Safety Free Period podcast and live stream. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we're with the Educators School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools throughout the U.S. and Canada. And we're typically pretty serious and we're typically pretty academic. Um, but our school safety free period is this one time where we are a little bit less serious. Um, but we're still a little more informal. A little more informal. That's maybe the way to say it. Uh, and we're still pretty academic. And we talk about what's happening in the world of school safety. And then we always try to have some important takeaways. Um, we understand as educators it's tough to stay up to date on some of this stuff. So we try to do a little bit of that work for you. And then we have some discussions. Okay. And hopefully we won't have barking dogs in the background. But it is a free period. Oh, uh, we might. So who could say? Okay, so. so back up the dump truck. I have a whole bunch of stuff to kind of <laughs> to kind of dump on you. So here we go. Cool. I love that. Um, and I'll start with the one that's, oh, you know, I understand where things come from, but sometimes you're like, really? So let's talk about this one. This is an app that some schools are getting that they're very excited about. And I won't say the name of the app because I'm not trying to promote it by any means. Um, this is an app. So I want to give you, we'll give you the quick little scenario. And so there's a lot of apps like this. Right. So this is not so, that So unique. here you are in high school and you, you want to go to the restroom because you know, you're almost an adult, you're 17. So you want to go to the restroom in days gone by, like when I was a teacher, you would go, hey, can I go to the restroom? And the teacher would either go, yeah, go ahead, or no, or wait, or hey, we're doing this thing, or come on, yesterday you went out, whatever. We would make a value judgment, deal mm -hmm. with it, the kid would go. Mm -hmm. Well, now, through the miracle of technology, the kid in this particular scenario, in this particular school that is using this technology, the kid logs in to a website on his Chromebook or whatever it is that he has, his laptop, and makes, McDonald's. Yeah, and, and makes a request to go to the restroom. I don't know how much information you have to provide, like what are you planning on doing there? How long do you think it's going to take? What, you know. 20 minutes. Yeah, so you're putting, so the, the kid logs in, puts in a request. The teacher then logs in to approve it, pending any red flags in the system, such as if there's another student that this student should avoid who's out in the hallway at the same time. So there's a whole bunch of things here. So what is the teacher not doing, teaching, while they're like looking yeah. at the backlog of requests to go to the bathroom and matching up who it is they're not supposed to go and entering that into the system? It's kind of like my Christmas list. I could just write it on a piece of paper and know what I'm doing, or I could go to the elaborate lengths of, you know, entering it into a system and technologically doing all these other things. But well, wait. What does that have to do with your Christmas list? I'm just saying. Sometimes just... Doing it the old-fashioned way makes more sense. But anyways, so in this particular case, the teacher approves it, um, and then the teacher has to log him back in mm -hmm. when he comes back. Mm -hmm. Apparently, I don't know if there's a satisfaction survey involved, like, how'd you feel? How'd how it clean, go? How clean was the restroom? What was it? But I don't know. Um, and if he's out of class for more than a set amount of time, then the app summons an administrator to go look for him. Because again... When I'm making big instructional decisions and running a school with thousands of kids and trying to do what's best for all of them, the thing I need to do is go, huh, you are a minute late coming back from the yeah. bathroom. Let me go get you. So clearly we can see there's a whole lot of problems with it. However, we can also see where the intent comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a way, get, 
supposedly, to track trips to the bathroom, the nurse's office, the principal's office, other places on campus. Now, let me just read you the, the part that it, that's a little bit, uh, it collects the data for each student's coming and goings so approved administrators can see past history or look for patterns. So we are monitoring the inmates of cell block A to find out how often they go to the bathroom, where they go, what they do, who they associate well, with, now, what is the the law enforcement known criminal associates or whatever. And I understand well, now, I the reason push back for on this it. because the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team won their fourth World Cup, and they were tracking how much urine they were producing, and then they were making specially formulated Gatorade. Well, maybe, maybe that's, that's what it is. What it's like an doing. elaborate. Maybe like, that's what we're doing. And I understand, as a, as and all of our listeners out there who are educators, I can think of plenty of times where I probably would have welcomed someone doing this sort of thing or some sort of technology tool. But the question is, again and again and again, at what cost? Yeah. If you only have X amount of money to spend, do I really want to spend it to have kids log in to go to the bathroom? If I only have X amount of time as a teacher to develop relationships with kids, do I really want to spend it going, let me log in and see who your known criminal associates are? I mean, I, I just don't know. Is this really... Well, do really, what we want to do? Do you want me to say my obnoxious attorney part of this? Yes, go ahead. You have created a standard of care. If you're saying we have a or a surveillance state, depending well, on your perspective. Aside from that part, you have created a standard of care saying we know who's in and out of the room. And rooms, we know where your child and is. We at know every where they moment. are, and we know when they went to the bathroom, and we know how long they're going. And so you have set yourself up for someone to make the legal argument when a kid gets the shit kicked out of him in the bathroom, that for them to go, you had this app that said this kid has been messing with him, yeah, and you still let him, you approved his bathroom request, and you... And, and how knew. long I mean, until, and, and how long until the user fatigue sets in well, of going, and that's, oh, just go, just right. go to the bathroom. I mean, what if you have a kid that, like, I don't know, is ill, and like legitimately is going to the bathroom all the time, and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta log this in again. Or yeah. vice versa, how long till we just give up on it? This app comes as a result of people giving up on monitoring where kids are and thinking that somehow a technology tool can do it better. Yeah. I just, you know, the we always talk about the dangerous, from a litigation standpoint, the dangerous discrepancy between here's what we say that we do and here's what actually happens. This is another realm for us to unnecessarily create a discrepancy yeah. uh, between and, and, reality and theory. And this is that sort of overarching theme that we've been beating the drum a lot about lately of we, the, the standard of anything it takes is not a good idea. And here's a standard of anything it takes to do what? Well, what exactly what are we gaining out of this? Yeah. So I logged where the kid was when he shot himself in the bathroom, but at least I logged it. So we know he went to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, to what end? So there's kind of the common theme. So there's us beating kids over the head with technology. And there's a variety of different ones um, that have come out. And there's some interesting ones about the monitoring of emails and that every time the email you know the email is looking for words like suicide or marijuana and as soon as it does it kicks it over to the administrator so again the question is are we now as administrators on call 24 7. 
and again, talking about potentially opening yourself up for liability, yep. Yep. Uh, that is a concern. And, and we've talked about that before on this podcast of the, the problems that they're having with that in Florida, where we have said, uh, this is something we're going to address. This is something we have the capacity to deal with. And then yeah. you have to be able to deal with those things and address them because you. Set and keep in mind, that. we're monitoring the, these companies again. For-profit entities making a bunch of money are monitoring emails, shared documents, mm-hmm. chat messages, all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So there's really two sides and, to this. And, number one, what's public that you really can monitor? Right. And number two, where does it stop? Now, I, I do understand some, you know, we need to make sure that we always, when we talk about some of these technology and, and software tools, that we're talking about the distinction between monitoring technology that is provided by the school. So you provide a Chromebook, and we have some software on that to make sure that you're not using it in completely inappropriate ways. That is well within what schools ought to be doing, because you, in a sense, can incur some liability if you give a Chromebook and you pay no attention to what anybody's doing on right. it. So right. that's... A separate thing and we're what you're talking about and the concerns that we have are some of these technology tools where you're monitoring what we think we're monitoring the twitter feeds of students or we think we're monitoring uh perhaps more than we actually are and we're monitoring things that frankly i think it's up for debate whether it's appropriate that a school should be monitoring the outside of school yeah. speech and social media of students and you know we don't have a ton of court cases that really discuss that yet no. um but that will be coming And I just want to read you the quote from the person that's doing the testimonial about uh, the school administrator. Um, Before his school used this technology, school officials would not know about cyberbullying or a student talking about hurting themselves unless one of their friends decided to tell an adult about it. Now, this technology has taken that piece out of it. The other student doesn't have to feel like they're betraying or tattling or anything like that. So let's think about the unintended consequence of saying, Don't worry about talking to us. Don't worry about telling us. Mm -hmm. Because if it's important, we'll find it. That is such a dangerous notion to say to kids, hey, don't worry about it. We don't want to hear from you. We don't need to hear Mm -hmm. from you. Don't worry about your concerns. Just keep your concerns to yourself because we have this technology thing Mm -hmm. that is monitoring you to such an extreme extent that we will literally know your thoughts before you have them. Well, and, you know, we talked about this, you know, you talked about the bathroom thing and logging people in for the in and out of the bathroom and some of these surveillance ones. The consistent concern that I always have is we are outsourcing emotional labor yeah. to technology. Yep. And, and I understand that there is a place for technology to support the work that humans do. But some of this stuff and, is and replacing the work. And of, what does that say to kids too? No, it's, but there's a difference. I don't want to hear from you yeah, because I'm a, monitoring you. Yeah, but there's a there's a huge distinction between replacing the work that a teacher does with technology versus a a teacher is still doing that emotional labor that faces a kid that a kid sees, and technology can help it. So you know, a grade book that's online that I can enter the grades online and parents can see that I'm still doing the grading. I'm, I, the teacher, I'm still involved in this yep. process and technology is supporting it. But a lot of these ones that we see and that we're really concerned about, it is technology taking the place of a human. And, and to and point that, really where and to point concerned. to that as being, here's the great advantage. You need to purchase our product because it will remove you from contact with your students. It will allow you to not have to deal with what students think or say. Well, come on. If you did that in any other venue... Well, no, but think about if you you couldn't sell someone a reading curriculum that says, you know what, if you buy our reading curriculum, you'll never have to talk to your kids again. You'll never have to interact with those pesky I, kids again. I bet you there's some of that that's happening. I mean, think okay, but think about 
these for-profit companies are software companies coming to you from the world of business. So if I don't yeah. have to stand and, and speak with the person to place my order at McDonald's and I can place it on a tablet, that doesn't impact my ability to eat McDonald's. And the, what the falling down point that these software companies don't understand is taking out the human interaction for students interacting with teachers, whether it's for safety or whether it's for reading or whether it's for anything else, there's a cost to kids. And that is, that is the distinction because we've disrupted with technology, uh, hailing a cab, ordering food, getting something delivered. And there, I mean, I would argue that there is a large societal systemic human cost to those things, but the human cost is less acute than it is in yeah. education. Yeah. And I think that's where, where I think some of that disconnect is. And unfortunately, I think, you know, software companies have made a lot of money out in the world and businesses. And I think, yes. And I think teachers especially are becoming to be more and more of a generation that they are very used to that creep of technology. And, um, I think it, it, it takes a lot of well, courage and, and stick-to-itiveness to say, nope, 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 nope. There is, there is a line here where we will not allow technology to you know, to supplant the work of human well, one people. of the executives of one of these companies said that it was a home run because their algorithms had helped to prevent two student suicides. Now, I'm not sure how you prove that. And I'm going to go out on a limb and go, I'll bet you that we can come up with a lot of other folks who didn't have an algorithm and were able to prevent suicide. Yeah. Um, and with, out and we're not making money off of it in the process hmm. um and then the article ends up uh talking about a student who was expelled on his last day of school because of some tweets that he wrote that were not particularly threatening but they found them to be upsetting and he said a kid has a right to be who they want outside of school and that's kind of an interesting notion yep. which takes us to our other one um, one particular article that came out this week about a, a kid who was tweeting stuff and was there were some social media conversations that gave people the impression that he was going to harm himself or that he was depressed and feeling uh, despondent, etc. And it evolved into, so probably he might be going to shoot up the school. And what caught me... <clears throat> what caught my attention about this article is the mother says, now my kid is a school shooter. When in reality, my kid has a mental health issue mm -hmm. that we're trying to address. Mm -hmm. And by him sharing his feelings, mm -hmm. albeit not necessarily in the most appropriate space in social media, perhaps, mm -hmm. we went from being able to support and work with our kid with, social, with uh, uh, his mental health issues to the school saying your kid's a potential shooter now. And what's the message we're sending to other kids? Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah, that, oh, well, so don't share your feelings or your thoughts because that's going to label you in that particular way. It's so those... Tough, it's a tough situation. I mean, all, all Well, are... and in keeping with this theme, I think the most timely thing that we have on our podcast today is the, the video that was released from Broward County um, regarding a, a school resource yes. officer... And we'll throw we'll throw the link in the description um, if you have not uh, seen this video because this is a sheriff's Oof. deputy who was charged um, with child abuse uh, based on surveillance footage from the school uh, where he is uh, grabbing a 15 year old student by the neck and slams her to the ground. He and, body and, slams her by the throat. Yeah. Um, then he flips her over onto her stomach, pins her down, holds her wrists together, and then 
pushes her into another room. Oh, and there may be additional information that's coming out on this. So let's let's be okay. But okay. let's keep in mind the fact that his own agency has charged him right. with child abuse. So clearly, regardless of the circumstances that may surround this, right. there's here is a, a really horrific example of if all we're going to do is take a law enforcement criminal prison mentality and apply it to kids, this is what you're going to get. Well, I would think, I mean, the fact that he's been charged by his own agency with child abuse would indicate that they clearly as an agency don't feel that this was uh, commensurate with the use of force policies that they have. However, I think, you know, you, the potential for violence or for inappropriate uh, physical altercations, we know that it's, that it's, this is not the first time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the first happened. time that this has happened with law enforcement folks in schools. And so I, I think, you know, as we always sort of try to walk that line between, you know, law enforcement can be really helpful for schools and they can be a really helpful resource for schools. And it's great when we see schools that have really good working relationships with their local law enforcement. However, there is a huge distinction between abdicating this work to law enforcement versus having law enforcement as partners with educators leading yeah. the charge. Because we're always that that always needs to be what's happening because we're running schools and so you know i always kiddingly used to say when i was a building principal that uh you know i could when i did discipline issues or i was investigating something that happened i could always get the kids to to break to tell me what it was and i used to kiddingly say i should go be a cop because i could interrogate suspects and get them to tell me what they know but yet no one ever thought that was a good idea for me as an educator to just walk into a law enforcement position and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what to do. Let me just sit down and do your job for you. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we have many, many law enforcement people who are either by design or accidentally or inadvertently are being put into a school setting with no additional capabilities other than their law enforcement perspective, mm -hmm. no additional training, no additional anything. Well, and and we're acting like it's just education. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Anybody can figure it yeah. out. Just put them in there and see what happens. And this is what happens. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when there is training for school-based law enforcement, it is from other law enforcement officers. Yep. And so I think it's important that there is training uh, specifically for when we're, we're going to take a law enforcement officer and put them into an educational setting. But the important question to ask is how much of that training is them understanding what educators know yep. and understanding the constraints with which it, within which educators operate and uh, all of those other concerns, which that's not happening very often. So if we follow that thread and we sort of reflect on the whole idea of how much we have or, or how far we have come, I guess, how far that pendulum has gone back and forth. You know, if we think to just a few years ago where everyone was pounding the table, especially in the wake of, of, of Sandy Hook and Parkland, and people pounding the table going, we got to do whatever it takes. We got to have active shooter training all the time, all the time, all the time. And now we are finding more and more, and this is just one particular example, of where parents are going, no, enough. This is not what you're doing to my kid. You're not teaching my kid to fight a gunman. Mm -hmm. We are not doing this. And there's a district in Michigan that where, you know, I, I have to give the parents credit for really advocating, saying we want our kids safe, but not at every price. And we want our kids safe, but I don't want them being taught to fight a gunman. And we're and we're seeing more and more of that pushback of people saying, 
it is this really does this really equal that if i do this traumatic drill and i scare you enough and i teach you to fight a gunman if push comes to shove and this statistically unlikely event actually happens will you even really know what to do any more than if i didn't subject you to that and we're and that is a discussion that really needs to happen that is finally starting to happen well you can and you can see why it doesn't happen that often i mean that's tough I mean, it's it's tough for for a, a an adult or for a parent to push back on something when ostensibly the school should be the arbiter of what's best for kids. And uh, people at and people very much ascribe to the notion that law enforcement are the arbiter of what's best for school safety. And so when you have your local law enforcement and your local school district saying this is what's best, maybe without a ton of evidence to support the efficacy of the thing they're undertaking, yep. maybe without a ton of information um, about does this really work, is this really best practices, especially when the notion of best practices in school safety, that can mean a lot of different yeah. things, unfortunately. We yeah. have so much local control and so much mixed messaging and so many for-profit entities uh, holding themselves out as being the industry standard and the best practice and uh, no wonder that doesn't happen more often. And, and you know, we, we as an organization have tried to push into some more um, training and, and awareness level, awareness uh, building for uh, parents who want to know more about this so that they can advocate for what really makes and sense. And I give and these folks a lot it's of tough. credit. I mean, let's, I'll read you some of the quotes from some of these parents. Their concerns were when they were, these kids were being taught to fight gunmen. Um, they were, one of them said it normalizes violence in society, and so it's okay. Here's a way you can deal with that. You can throw pencils at a shooter. Um, mm -hmm. And then he talks about, I think it's awful we're training children. It's not something they can handle or process. And one parent said, my son is very anxious. I don't need to give him more to worry about than he already has. Yeah. I mean, and they are, what they are saying really resonates with folks, not just in Michigan where this particular thing occurred. But I think we have really... Um, you know, like you, like you were alluding to, I think we have really made people feel like you're a bad parent if you question. Yeah. If you question this, yep. you don't care if your kid gets shot by mm -hmm. your. Sh yep, I absolutely do care about the safety of my kid, which is why I don't want him traumatized, which is why I don't want him to have training that's not going to be effective. Well, it's like and, and then, I, mean, I always talk about the you know the analogy of flying and the the risk of uh, active shooter you know, being so slim. I mean, if you're taking a kid on a commercial airline, do you say this airline could crash and burn in fire? And I mean, they have safety briefings in airlines. I, under I understand that that's an important part of it, but we don't practice jumping off the slides. Yep. We don't have super realistic, scary conversations with kids about it because the amount of preparation, the safety briefing is commensurate to the risk. And actually, I would say the safety briefings on an airplane are actually probably overkill for the amount of risk um, compared, you know, how safe it is to fly versus, you know, how safe it is to drive. And I, I think the what I think is especially upsetting to me and I think is most egregious when we're talking about fighting a gunman, there's a big distinction in the level of anxiety that it causes in a kid to have a discussion of how would we respond? How would we, if we needed to all leave here in a hurry, how would we do that? And having that discussion... Um, that is a very different level of anxiety than I'm going to teach you how to fight a gunman. And I think that's what I think is, is most upsetting is that the safety skills that kids do need to learn don't need to be that anxiety inducing. But yet you never really hear a ton of that being taught to kids. We hear a lot of we're going to teach you how to fight a gunman. 
And what I think is most upsetting about that is if you were in a situation where you had to fight a gunman, you could teach the kids to fight a gunman after the first shot rang out. I mean, it's macabre to, to think about that and to really, to, to really think that through, but when the gunman is climbing over your barricade, that's when you tell the kids to grab a pencil and throw it. You don't need to practice that on the first day of school, the second day of school, third day of school. Yeah. Um, that's what I, that's, I think. Well, and I think the, there's just really, it's not necessary. There's no reason that we need to be. But I think, I think the point that a lot of, a lot of people are starting to make that I think is really relevant is, okay, you can say we're going to have an active shooter drill, but the type of lockdown active shooter drills that most places have don't even address the things that kids do worry about. Like, okay. So now here, conveniently in third period, I know what to do. What do I do before school? Right. What do we do in the cafeteria at lunch? Mm -hmm. um, what do we do when we don't know where the, the location of the right. person is? So so what's the point of having all of these traumatic sort of drills that don't even address the things mm -hmm. the kids are scared that about. the kids would actually be most concerned yeah. with um, as well? So yeah. I, I think that discussion really needs to be had. And I just find it really resonating with folks that they have been sort of, as parents, have been sort of beaten into submission that I'm not allowed to question yeah. the safety practices that law enforcement is coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Because, and there, and again, this is not a knock on law enforcement. We have abdicated this to law enforcement. So we, we, get, we got what we asked for unintentionally. But law enforcement is telling schools and schoolings go, okay, I guess that's what we got to do. And then mm -hmm. the school is telling parents and the parents going, okay, I guess that's what we have to do. Yeah. And law enforcement is being forced into this position of having to provide an answer, which then later on we go, that wasn't an answer. Yeah. Right. Well, we asked the question and we abdicated that decision. So this is not a blame game. This is more about having these honest conversations instead of being cowed into the level of fear and anxiety being so high that we'll I just have anything. to take it. We'll I just anything. have to do anything. I have to take anything. I can't question. I can't reflect. We can't be... We don't have time to be thoughtful or strategic. Mm -hmm. We just got to do, do, do. We got to come up yeah. with something. And I think well, that, and that, that same, slowing down and reflecting is yeah. what's not happening. Well, and that same, uh, that same environment is how we ended up with the teachers in Indiana that were shot mock execution yep. style in a drill last year. Yep. Because we don't have time to think about this. We don't have time to be strategic. We don't have time to go. But how does that, what, what, is the, what are the pros and cons of that? What do I gain? What are we losing? Yep. So. Well, funny you should mention that. Because the next story I was going to talk about is exactly story. that yeah. sort of consequence of that. Um, a $100,000 settlement from a teacher who suffered hearing damage during an active shooter drill because she was unaware that they were going to be firing blanks right next to her. $100,000 in damages. And, and for what? What exactly was the training? We needed to know what gunshots sounded like. Yeah. Um, and, so that's, and that's a very... And it's probably important to note that that's not the first... Uh, no, is that the first settlement that we've had or workman's comp claim? But people not think that Indiana thing was an isolated no, incident. No, 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 not no, at all. No, no not at all. So. And, and in our conversations with teachers, that would indicate that it is not an yeah. isolated incident. Yeah. So I'll leave you with this. <laughs> I've been trying to stop for like 10 minutes, but keep this keep one, going. Just, you know, this, whatever, just how a long quick one. It takes. This is a bomb threat from an out-of-state inmate who made a demand for a million dollars to be sent to him or bombs would explode in all nine county schools. Now, I understand the fear, but really, an inmate in with a million dollars in jail is somehow somehow able to get bombs into all was nine like, schools. And like, so they closed everything. Everything was, was closed. Bell? 
Stringer Bell could pull it off uh, from no. inside jail. It was a handwritten letter, um, and they closed all of the schools. And again, not, I'm not trying to play Monday morning quarterback, but we have to have a continuum of responses that's not just either we completely ignore it or we shut everything down and the world's ending. When you got some dude in jail making a play for a million dollars in a handwritten note, somewhere Did they send them the money or they that, just closed the uh, They just closed the school. Oh, that's good. So. So. But I just have this image of him like with a piece of notebook paper going, Maybe this will let work. me see what will happen. And that's where a lot of schools are. So we have to have a response that meets the needs of the threats as opposed to this is just what we do, cookie cutter. Yeah, and the thing that I'll say about that, that is the thing that I always say is you can't make up an appropriate response after you've received the handwritten uh, ransom letter. That is something that we have to have thought of ahead of time. We have to have discussed ahead of time. We have to have practiced ahead of time. We have to have had the policies and the procedures that we're working on them ahead of time. And, and I think a lot of these, especially dealing with bomb incidents and threats, a lot of these responses that are lacking or could be better, they don't have adequate protocols. And it's like, oh, crap. This thing happened. Look at this piece and, of notebook paper. Yeah, what are we, we going to do? We got to do something and we got to do it quick. And we don't have time to be strategic or intentional or, or thoughtful about the way that we approach so it. So maybe our theme today was reflection. Let's reflect. <laughs> I mean, sure. That sounds like a good theme. I like it. Um, well, so there you have it. Um, we want to say hi and we always wave to the people who are joining. You're supposed to wave for the people who are joining us on YouTube. And then obviously who the people who are joining us on the podcast still have to imagine what it looks like when we wave. Um, but if you please, you know, rate, review, and subscribe, you can access this wherever you access your podcasts. Um, we always encourage folks to head to our website, which is www.eschoolsafety.org, to see the other resources that we have available. Um, this is part of our ongoing free online professional development. We have webinars, we have these, um, we have a lot of other resources and things to check out. And then we always say if you have a question, you can always reach out to us directly, info at eschoolsafety.org. And if you have a friend or a colleague who you're thinking, oh, they need to hear this or they need to read some of the other resources, um, please do share um, with your friends. And Our webinar is coming up. And we have a webinar next week. Next Thursday. Next Thursday. Be here for the webinar. Yeah. So there you have it. Thanks so much and uh, have a good day.